me tell you about Anchor by Spotify, which is the easiest way to make a podcast and the app that I use to make this podcast, Five Blue Firefighter. It's everything you need all in one place. First, Anchor has all the tools to record and edit your podcast right from your phone, tablet, or computer. If you host off Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms such as Spotify, Apple, and many others. Everything you need all in one place. And best of all, it's totally free. If you're interested in starting your own podcast, download Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome to the Five Tool Firefighter Podcast. My name is Nick Higgins, firefighter and author of the Five Tool Firefighter book. Each week, we bring you an inspiring message or person to help you become the best version of yourself you could be. This journey is for the long haul, not the short. Now let's start our journey to becoming the best version of ourselves we could be. Welcome everyone to another episode of the Five Tool Firefighter Podcast. On this episode, we have a special guest. Uh, this is a, a firefighter I've been talking to through social media. He's so popular on Instagram, and I'm actually really happy to have him on today. Um, it was great. He reached out to me through DM, started talking. I've read his articles. We are going to talk about both these articles today. And what it's doing in this episode is we talk firematics. So in part of the firematic chapter of the book, there is a chapter, a piece in there that talks about company operations. Well, the man we're having on today is no stranger to talking about company operations and really has a lot of great information to talk about. So I'm not going to keep rambling on. Brian Johnson of Maniac Fire Training, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Whatever you want, man. Hey, thank, thank you. Pleasure to be so, here, man. And- this is going to be fun. So uh, before we start, uh, we're going to talk about his first article in Fire Engineering just came out in February, which is which has been a hit. Uh, I've actually have it in my firehouse because we do the same thing he does. We cover college campuses. So his first uh, article we're going to kind of briefly touch on is aerial positioning on college campuses. What we're going to do after that is we're going to go into an older article that Ryan posted in Firefighter Nation, the shorthanded aerial operator. So. Before we get into the articles, before we get into what what you're talking about, your mission out there, Ryan, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself? So, sure. Um, well, I've been a firefighter, uh, career firefighter for 24 years and change. I'm actually eligible to retire in June. I'm probably not going to. Um, I uh, I really love the fire service. You know, I had a little setback uh, back in November with my little heart surgery that I had there, but I. Uh, back on light duty right now, and in another month or so, I'll be 100% full duty, ready to go. So that's kind of nice. Um, right now, they let me drive the tower, so that's kind of cool, you know. Nice. <laughs> but, uh, once everything else is going, then I get to go over to the other side, back to my seat, and uh, kind of go from there. But yeah, I, I, uh, yeah, I, I like I told you before, I, I hate bios. Um, I'm the owner of Maniac Training. I've owned that company since 2012, 13, 14, somewhere in that ballpark range. Before it was even Maniac Training, you know, I, I started doing some stuff on my own and then right. gave a name to it. And, and now um, we go all over the place and do, do all kinds of cool stuff. So, yeah, so that's me in a nutshell. <laughs> 
Awesome, man. Hey, I'm glad you're doing a lot better from last, you know, from we spoke earlier on. I'm really glad you sound good, you look good, and be back out on a job sooner, sooner than later. Yeah. That's, that's what's the most important no part is. No doubt. So, oh, I wanted to thank you too, man. The, uh, the Unity Fire Department thing that we did, the, the um, benefit fundraiser. Yeah. 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 So we raised almost three grand. Wow. Um, we had, I don't know, 40, 45 students there for the day, which for our area in central Maine is actually a pretty good grab. Um, so we, we really had a good time. We, we raffled off a bunch of items, uh, raffled off a couple of your books. Um, I tried to post all the pictures of all the guys and gals that won stuff. Um, but I'm like the worst thing ever on social media, but, um, but thank you very much for your donation and, uh, the books. It was phenomenal. Uh, the guys that won your books are guys that are going to read them. You know what I'm saying? They're, oh, it's even better. Like, they're not just the guys that are just kind of eh, put it on the bookshelf, you know, back here. They'll, they'll actually yeah. read those books. And that's that made me feel phenomenal. Um, one of the kids that, that got your book is uh, one of my close friends. And uh, he is a phenomenal little fireman. I say little, he's like 6'4". He's just starting out. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so it couldn't have, couldn't have gone to a better kid. And the other two went to some great guys. So thank you again. Appreciate it. Hey, I'm glad I could help in any way, man. If you ever need any help again down the road, I'm there for you. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. We do have to talk about the Yankees thing. Yeah, that sometime that's going to go away. But other than that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we got to talk some Yankees <laughs> in Boston. Yeah. <laughs> if anybody, yeah. those listening, I uh, I sent a donation, and, and my check actually has the New York Yankees logo on it. I'm a diehard fan, so – when Ryan received it, there was some uh, some conversation back and forth about that, but uh, <laughs> yeah, so that was good. So, so Ryan, you're featured in Fire Engineering. Yes. So Ryan's article, aerial yeah, positioning, cool. college campus. Let's get into it, man. Let's Absolutely. talk. Um, the reason I wrote it is this fire department that I'm with now. I've been here for eight years. And prior to the fire department I was with, uh, we've always had college campuses in our districts. And when responding to them, there was always, it's always different. Like they're very, very depending on the school they are, um, what they really want you to do, because they, they don't want you to be there. You know what I mean? They don't want us up there um, because it's really a disruption to them, you know? So right. part of the reason I wrote this article was because one of the colleges that we, we are responding to now, we have a fabulous partnership with them. And, you know, we, we've done a lot of things with them. Uh, we've even put on rookie schools um, for our fire department. We actually have some of their college students on our fire department and um, joining us. But but we, we would respond up there for various things. And I would go and I would be like, We'd show up and things would be already taken care of like the fire alarm would already be silenced um students would be back in their dorms and i couldn't figure out why and it was you know security would show up and they'd go check it out and and that just didn't sit well with me and it didn't sit well with us and then when i came to this fire department in waterville kind of the same thing but we only go to alarms up there if there's a water flow alarm um, if there's a 911 call with it. So there's only certain things that we do. Other than that, the security has some fire background and they take care of a lot of stuff. So depending on what the call is, where it is, 
it was just, it was real confusing. So I'm like, we really need to delve into this because we have two colleges in town and one treats, we treat one this way and one another way. And so I just, I felt that I could write this and maybe help others out there because they're probably dealing with the same things that I am, you know? Uh, I mean, I, I could 100% agree to that. Uh, my department as well, we, we have the same type of relationship with, with our, um, the college that we, that we're right down the street, literally three blocks from one of the campuses and about two minutes out from the other campus. Yeah. And we see the same scenario. We have a good relationship with what they have emergency services on their campus. So there's no fire department. So we're really the fire department coming in for two of the five campuses. And it's the same situation. Stuff's already taken care of. So yeah. reading, reading this, I'm having in the back of my mind, going through different calls that I've been on fires in these dorms that I've been at and saying, Oh, wow. There were things that if they weren't there to kind of give us a little bit of the scenario, would we be in place to do it as, as efficiently as we could before? Right. Right. And, you know, a lot of the challenges that we face with this, with going to a college campus is, you know, it, it's, it's a huge life safety issue. You know what I mean? There's, there's yeah. so, so many life safety issues in these places. Not that there's hazards, if you will, but there's just simple issues. Like we all went to college or most of us went to college. And yeah. I mean, if, if those that lived in dorms probably don't spend a whole lot of time sleeping in their dorm, they may be in other dorms, you know, partaking in various, whatever they're <laughs> doing. But, you know, so you have a dorm that fits four students and there's 34 students in there. Um, the accountability for these students is, is non-existent. Um, and all you're relying on is some college student to say, yeah, I think there's three or four people in there or no, nobody's in there. And you know damn well, that they come on and say, yeah, everybody's out. You know damn well that they're not. I mean, half the kids don't get up for a fire alarm in the middle of the night because they just sleep through it, you know? So there's so many issues there. And that's just on campus. Um, we have a lot of housing on campus and off campus housing and it has the same problems, whether it's, you know, a fraternity frat style house, or if it's uh, just a house where it's down the street from the college and there's 10 kids that rent it, you know? Um, yeah. You never know who's there, who's supposed to be there. Um, you know, say nothing about where they actually sleep. I mean, who knows? I mean, there's so many different variables with that, that, you know, your, your normal everyday average search kind of gets blown out of proportion here. And you've just got to, you know, think outside of the box, you know? Yeah, and and I mean, just talking about off camp, off campus housing and on campus housing. You know, we're, the one thing my department's fortunate about is we don't have to worry about the frats and the sororities. They're on another campus, which is in in the city um, that the, that the college is in as well. So another department takes care of that. But um, we have to deal with a lot of the housing with married couples. People have families coming back to school. And those areas, now you have kitchens, now you have it like a garden apartment. Now, you know, reading your article, you talk about that. Some are set up like garden apartments and, and, and townhomes. So you're thinking of going to a dorm, maybe you're going to a townhouse. And Absolutely. we had a fire that recently just happened like that. And I mean, you couldn't, we couldn't have truck. We couldn't set up the truck because of stuff you're talking about in the article. A lot of stuff going around, trees, different ways, setbacks. So 
it's a, everything about it's a challenge in itself. Right. Everything. You know, now, good. One of the things that, you know, maybe is to our advantage though, is the forcible entry aspect is almost, I'm not going to I'm not going to say it's non-existent, but it's a little easier for us. Um, you know, we have a lot of the security will come with us. We have fobs, they have keys. Um, so the yeah. forcible entry aspect for us is kind of, not done for us, but I mean, you know, we don't have to go quite think as hard on it. Um, you know, there are some times if the keys don't work or the power is down or whatever. Um, but most of the time, those doors aren't that hard to force anyway. So, I mean, but at least that aspect of it isn't like, you know, super difficult or something that we have to really be concerned with. And that's, that's one of the advantages, I guess, going to these places. But, um, you know, we have a dorm that's right on our main street you know, 150 feet, 300 feet down from the firehouse, maybe a little further than that. Or maybe half, maybe a quarter of a block or something. It's not that far though. Um, and that's all housing. And that's where you, we run into, you know, there's a large living area, four or five bedrooms off it, kitchenette type style thing. Um, and that's a relatively large building, you know, right downtown. And um, it's easy to make some sets too, but um, the cool part is, like I said earlier, is the college is actually really, really works with us. And we've gone there, done tours and kind of gone through the place. So we should have a pretty good idea of what's there. Um, but it's just the, the life safety and the people aspect of it. Uh, we just never know who's there, who's supposed to be there, and who's not there. Yeah. I mean, it's like it's like a city in itself in right. some instances, depending on where you're going. And, yeah. you know, the, the one thing when as I'm read through your article and we talked about different types of structures we're probably going to encounter. How do you guys in your department, or how would you recommend to anybody out there listening, pre-planning this, getting in there and, and pre-planning the building and the areas that you're driving into? Because it's not common for a lot of departments to have no. college campuses. No. And, and the, the biggest thing that I would suggest is first – off the bat, if you're going to pre-plan this place, do it in the summer. Um, that way there's not that many students around yet, uh, especially if it's your first time on the campus. If you do it in the summer, you get a little better aspect of where things are. Um, you have less students to worry about. Now you can actually get into the dorms and you actually walk through them. Uh, and you're not really causing that much of a disturbance for them. Same thing with all the other buildings. You can get into them a little better and not cause any uh, any heartache or anything or you know you're not bugging anybody um, but I will say uh, you definitely need to get on campus during the school season because it changes um, you know just bringing in two or three thousand kids and you know 1500 more cars um, you know whatever else they bring with them uh, and you'll see the change in the dorms too you go there through there in the summertime and it's wide open you know freely movable around you can open the door to the dorm room and there's nothing there nothing in the way a couple beds you open that same dorm room in september or october and you're lucky if you can get the door open because there's so much you know stuff that's in the way the hallways are full of clutter um you know they, they police that pretty well but still there's times when there's stuff in the way um right. kids riding their bikes they keep their bikes on the inside so where do they put them they put them in the stairwell uh, that stuff's in the way. So it's just, you know, so you do, you do need to get on campus when you're 
when you're in session. And it's important to drive the aerial on campus because sometimes you may look at something and go, geez, we could make a set right here and go, you know, go to the third floor of this relatively easily and then realize that, you know, you're set back, you, you can't even reach it with a hundred foot stick um, to, to, you know, the side of the building. And then you realize that there's only one place you can put your area. And that's where you want to start getting into it and working with campus security and the heads of campus um, is, is essential for, for, you know, for a good outcome for these getting on the campus and pre-planning these buildings. Oh yeah. I mean, I, one, one thing we do is when guys want to start driving, we take them in there first on, uh, on those days when no one's really there because of those tight roadways. Hey, you want to yeah. drive? Well, you can turn these things in, in these tight roads with, cars on the side of the road or even nerve buses coming through which are about the size of our apparatus you know uh yeah you, you might have something but uh you know what is something talking about you know at road access or not a lot of access what are other things that could be potential hazard with knowing these areas that you might take for granted if you've never done this before and being new to it well, I mean, some of the simple things is um, driving. If you're just driving by a college campus and you look and you see like the trees in front of the building, well, those trees didn't just grow up there. They planted them there. Some campuses have uh, an ordinance that will say, you know, if there's 30 feet of green space, there needs to be a tree in it. Uh, and then, you know, and you have to have a tree every so many feet. And you start going in there and you're like, you can't even put an aerial in the, these places unless you're going to start cutting trees. And these are at the dorms. This isn't even, you know, the classrooms. And, you know, the other things that they're doing is they're taking the old roads and they're turning them into walkways. Now the, the ground underneath is still pretty solid, but, um, you know, they're, just, they're making cobblestone pathways or they're making um, even grassways. But, you know, some of those places you used to rely on get our apparatus into a building that we couldn't otherwise reach uh, yeah. and now there's walkways there uh, fortunately they we you know we, we had a say in what they were doing and we had those removable bollards or ballards or whatever they're called that will pop out of the ground and we can actually drive the aerial up but the problem is is that these things are so narrow by the time you put your outriggers out uh, you're not on as solid ground as you want to work. you know so it's you have to really really be cautious and a lot of the things that people don't realize is like our one of our campuses is heated with steam. So you have these underground tunnels all throughout the campus. And you know, every so often you'll have a vault. So you'll you'll see this big concrete vault. It's in the ground, but and there's like a manhole cover or a you know, just a big, you know, triangle, I mean a, a big rectangle piece of metal. Well, that's just a a man way to get into this confined space area and then it shoots off you know left right north south all these different directions with steam pipes um, they're really easy to find in the winter around here but but in the summertime if you're not sure where that stuff is um, you set your outrigger on one of those and you may end up tipping over because it's not solid ground it's a whole nother know your area know your apparatus type situation that's a little bit you know if you're not going there that often, right? You know, it's something you can easily miss if you're not going at all. That's why, you know, when you put it in, when you put it in this article talking about you know pre-planning that area, 
it's it's so vitally important to do that. Right. And getting into the next piece that you talk about, the contents of other types of buildings, you talked about dorms and everything, but these college campuses have a lot of stuff. They have science buildings. And what are you going to find in science buildings? Oh, yeah. You, you know, so, that bad stuff, man. Yeah, you're finding everything. Yeah. We had a call to one of the science buildings. It was probably a year and a half ago or so now. And uh, we pull into the campus and you look up at the building and it really didn't seem like anything was going on. There was some steam coming out of the top of the building. And I looked up and I'm like, I've never seen this building blow off steam like that. I look at the security guard and I said, is this what we're here for? He goes, yeah. I said, well, is that just a relief up there or something? He goes, no, the relief and everything that blows off is on the southern end of this four building complex. And this complex is probably, oh, it's got to be 12, 1200 feet long maybe maybe less maybe 600 feet long but the other end is where we usually see this steam blowing off he says it's blowing off over there and that never happened well it ended up a pipe had kind of separated and um but we're right in the science lab and you know you're right over all this you know bad stuff i mean i don't even i'm not a real hazmat guy thank god we have a couple really good hazmat guys but uh yeah there was some, some nasty stuff in there thank god this was steam you know it wasn't any huge yeah. deal we just went and took care of it and, but you know to get up in there you know we had to move stuff around try to get the aerial up in there um there's vehicles parked in the way just you know craziness oh i mean the one building we always show up to it seems like is a science building it's always seems like it's just one bioscience building and we did show up one time and we're like, something's not right here. And when security and emergency services brought us up, there's smoke up there in one of the upper floors. I'm not, I remember what floor it was at this time, but um, we show up, all the computers are on fire. So, <laughs> I mean, anything could have happened at that point. You have a, you have laboratories around the corner in that, in that hall. Going to a college campus is like going to another world in times, especially... Oh when you have all this stuff and you have sporting events on top of it. Oh yeah. You... Yeah. We, we have the, the, our um, college campus in town there, they just built this humongous sports complex. Um, I was in there the other day, they had a, a business to business thing going on. And I walked in and I'm like, I couldn't find a place to park on campus. But when I walked in, it didn't seem like there were really anybody in there. And I ran into the mayor and I said, I said, is this a successful event or what's going on? I said, it doesn't look like there's a lot of people here. I mean, is there something else on campus going on? And we were in the field house. And he says, do you realize that, uh, you know, this building can swallow up 2,000 people and make it seem like this, you know, 200. And I started looking around and I'm like, you know, started counting vendors. And, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. And, you know, I got to somewhere in the eight or 900 range and I just stopped counting. And I was like, okay, so there is a lot of people here. Um, and then there was other things going on in the building that day. And so, you know, there's probably 2,500 people in that building. And it, you're not even bumping into people, you know? Jesus. So it was like, it was crazy. This building's huge. It's huge. Yeah, we, um, the, the one campus we have, we actually got a tour and they put a new business school in. So they built this five-story building. And each floor, it's all glass with, um, 
almost like an overhand. We can kind of walk out of it, kind of be over this cul-de-sac in the road. And we start and we see this one door. We're like, oh, that's a, it's a um, lecture hall. I'm not thinking about it. It's 500 student lecture hall. That's probably the size of the building itself. And we're just like, oh, yeah. and, and right next to that is the front doors. There are like seven, eight front doors with about a three-story staircase going up to the first, technically the first floor. Should something happen in a situation like that, you have kids, students coming out of one door trying to get to the exit, plus people coming down that stair, stairwell at the same time. And it's, it's like you said, that you can get swallowed up in there and not realize you have 501 room plus oh, yeah. five more stories. And it's... Yeah. This one's crazy. It has a full-size hockey rink with, I think the capacity is 2,500 or better. Uh, full-size basketball court. I'm not sure what the capacity is in there. Olympic-sized swimming pool. Um, there's at least a room for 100 or so in there um, for seating. Um, you know, plus has all the offices for all the athletics, all the locker rooms. Um, I think there's only, you know, the old one used to have, you know, three or four sports in one particular locker room, depending on the season. Uh, this locker room, I mean, this place doesn't have, like, each sport has their own locker room for the most part. Uh, there's two different weight rooms. Uh, it, it's huge. If you filled this thing up, you would, uh, you probably, I could probably fit half of my city in this building. At one point, if they did every event at the same time, I could probably fit almost half of my city in there. So, we so have you get a, get a picture at how big is the city? Yeah, about 18,000. In, in the city. city. Yeah. Yeah. And there's probably, yeah, the students on campus, I think they said last year they were at 2,500 or 3,000 at that particular campus. And then our other campus across town, that's got, I think that's got right around 1,500 students in it. So there's, we have a lot of college kids in town. Wow. So the last thing I ask you about this article should you not have aerials that can take care of the situation that you need to get it to? Can't raise an aerial, just can't make the stretch. What do you recommend guys to do? Be proficient at ground ladders, man. Uh, Amen. <laughs> you know, that's, that's the, that's the thing right there. And uh, you got to be proficient at it. I, I actually used to work at the Bangor fire department and we had a Bangor ladder there. Um, they actually, that's where they were made and invented and built. Um, and we were really proficient and the guys that still work in Bangor today are extremely proficient with that ladder. A little bit of sense of pride, you know? Um, oh yeah. But, but as the the rest of the state even, I mean, there aren't that many with, you know, 40, 45 or 50 foot ladders. Um, really? Yeah, it's just, I, I can probably, yeah, I bet you there's, I bet you there's not that many around here. If they do have one, it's, it's older and, and probably not in as great a shape as it should be in. Um, but, you know, on our campuses, we can reach almost every dorm window with a 35 if we had to. Um, you know, some of us that I work with, we are um, in the belief of splicing ladders. I know that, you know, the NFPA and safety police don't care about that. Um, but I'm pretty sure that the kids on that third floor with a slope on the other side, I'm pretty sure they'd be happy if we spliced a ladder to come rescue them. So. 
Um, I'm not too worried about getting munched on for splicing a ladder if I can go make a difference, you know what I mean? Um, oh, yeah, save a life, save someone, you know. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't suggest not- it to anybody that hasn't tried it. You know, do it in training before you do it for real. Oh, yeah. Because I can tell you from experience doing it in training for the first time, you're not that good at it. <laughs> I was not that good at it. Um, I'm probably still not that great at it, um, but I'm confident that I could get the job done. Uh, but that's just one of the things, man. But you get you got to be proficient in ground ladders um, and, and throw them, throw them, throw them. I mean, throw them with purpose, obviously. You don't just want to paint the building aluminum because you can. But you, you want to be proficient in throwing your ladders. And that, right. That's going to save your ass at the end of the day. Oh, I hear you. I hear you. And, and that actually brings us into that next article that you talked about. Yeah. Uh, shorthanded aerial, you know, I mean, yeah. that's more common than anything. Today's, oh, today's day and age, everything's shorthanded. No question. You know, when I, when I wrote that, I was really, you know, trying to concentrate on my area and just how we do things and how we overcome uh, being shorthanded. Because my idea of shorthanded is one, maybe two firefighters on an aerial, um, you know, and, and years ago, uh, one of our local, um, we have this school locally that will every spring and fall host, you know, hundreds of firefighters throughout the state. And uh, so they, they got a couple of guys come in from out of state a few years ago, I say a few years ago, back in the late 90s, early 2000s. And they, they talked about short staffing and shorthanded firework. Um, I think there was a communication gap with the people that were presenting and the people that hired them to come present because you know nothing against those gentlemen that came out there they're they're awesome guys i'm not going to say who they are but you know they work for a four letter department in new york um that's prominent throughout the world they were great oh, yeah. uh yeah and but they came in and you know shorthanded to them is less than five guys on a ladder truck less than five guys on an engine and you know we're lucky if we get three we feel like we're riding heavy you know so i think there was a communication gap um the class was still magnificent you know but it was just you know they're talking about stretching a two and a half up a set of stairs down a hallway and they're doing it with five people and they can do it lickety split um and they could do it better with six well, we're doing that same stretch with three, maybe two. And it's not like it's split. It's not fast by any stretch of imagination. So when I was writing that shorthanded article, I kind of tried to, you know, really bring it down to bare bones, you know, one or two people on the truck, um, maybe not even the two most experienced people on the truck. And just try to, the, the biggest takeaway from that article, I think, is to slow things down, uh, whether, you know, if you're responding to a scene and you're approaching that scene, is you need to slow things down to make sure that you get it right. You know what I mean? Uh, You don't want to, you know, fly in there and, you know, just go bowling into a situation and either make a wrong set or you make, you know, you make a critical error error you know pulling a wrong ladder or ground ladder off the truck or 
any of those things. And, you know, if you're not thinking that can happen relatively easily, you know, you need that 35 foot ground ladder, uh, you pull the 24 and you're way too short. You know, now you've just spent your yourself, you know, going to the building, putting that ladder there, realizing it's not, not enough, running back to the truck to get that other ladder because you are short-handed. Nobody else is going to bring it to you. Um, right. So. Yeah. It's just, it's all about slowing down training, right? Yeah. You know, knowing, knowing, you know, it's nowadays you have to be able to train with less people. And I talk about that, like train scenarios, train as if you have five guys, cut it back and train and have three guys run the scenario right. just so you get a feel for what's really going on in a lot of, in a lot of situations that happen. And if we're always preparing with five, six guys, we're never going to be prepared with two to three guys. Right. And like you're saying, slow it down and, and take it apart. And everything kind of goes into it, you know, yeah. Yeah, it falls I, into place. Yeah. I'm a big advocate and I say this in a lot of my programs, but train how you fight. You know, if you train how you fight, um, you'll fight how you train. You know, I think, and I don't know the, the quote um, off the top of my head, but there's, you know, basically what that quote says is that you, you fall back to the level of your training. Um, yeah. When you're stressed or something like that. And that's, yeah. that's absolutely true, you know. Um, absolutely. So if, you, if you're always training with five or six people on putting up a, you know, 35 foot ladder and then you and I have to go do it with two people. It's going to be difficult because we haven't trained one with two people, you know? Um, yeah, you know, absolutely. I, and taking a 35 by yourself, you know, I'm a bigger guy, but I'm not real tall. Um, I'm a little heavy. I'm a little over 200 pounds. I can put a 35 foot ladder on my shoulder and carry it to the building. Um, but I can't take that 35 foot ladder, a hook, a halligan, and a chainsaw but if i put that ladder on the ground put all that stuff on it and drag it i can bring all that stuff to the fight and that's two three less trips i have to run back to the truck so yeah. you know that's one of the things that we preach and you know my training company i, I you know i go to a department and i tell them this and the fire chief's looking at me like so you want me to drag my thousand dollar 35 foot ladder on the ground and i'm like to rescue somebody and save somebody's life Absolutely. In training, you don't have to because I bring them to you. So, you know, yeah. that's, I have that stuff to bring to the training so they can drag my ladders. And if it falls over and bends or breaks, it's not a big deal. I have another one, you know. Um, yeah. I, want, I want them to be able to do that without destroying the property of the fire department. Um, you know, I got these ladders either donated or bought them really cheap. And, you know, they're heavy as hell. You know, I've got one three fly 35, two fly 35, and I got one one fly 35. And they were all beat the shit, but we drag them around, raise them up. Um, and the departments are grateful for it, you know. The fire chiefs especially, because, yeah. you know, they're paying a lot of money for the class, and they're not only going to spend a lot of money yep. if they have to do something with their ladder, so we let them use ours, you know. But Absolutely. Firm believer in training how you fight, man. Absolutely. I mean, they – Athletes do it all the time, and we are, in a sense, that same thing. We are an athlete in, in our own right. And just like you said, like you can make less trips. Think about how much wear and tear you're taking off yourself. Oh yeah, yep. making. I mean, yeah, it's going to be a pain in the ass to, to drag all that stuff or carry it all over there. But 
imagine having to go back and forth a hundred times by the time you have to enter that structure. Yeah, you don't want to go in. Right. You're more you're huffing and puffing. Your your air is going down a lot faster oh, if yeah. you even had to go on there. So yeah. being practical. And that's practicality and at its finest. Everything in this article is practicality. Right. And, 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 and it has to be, you know, I mean, we're, we're responding with less and less people all the time. Um, we actually have some job openings where I'm working now and, and I'm actually quite happy to say that there's more applicants than I thought that we would get. Um, so I'm extremely happy about that, but still the days of getting two or 300 applicants for one job is gone in our area. Yeah. Um, you know, two of the biggest cities in our state were hiring recently. And I think they're both actually coming up hiring again. And they're talking maybe 50 applicants for 15 jobs. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when I applied at Bangor back in the 90s, um, there was two, 300 applicants for one or two jobs. You know, and that you had to fight to get the jobs. And now, you know, you still have to fight to get the job, but you don't have to fight quite as hard. <laughs> yeah, less, less competition. Yeah. Less competition. N numbers wise, you know, it's less people and, yeah. you know, put your shot up a little bit better, but at the same time. Yeah. So we were, um, we were talking offline about some other, some other stuff you want to get into. Anyway, by the way, this article is another great article. Both of these, I'm going to put these in the show notes so everybody can go back and look. Check them out, click on them, read them. So much information. The aerial one's actually in my firehouse because of what we do. We're not a truck company, but we do believe we should still know it because in order to be a successful, well-rounded firefighter, you should know other jobs and know what else is happening and know who's coming. So Absolutely. we train on everything. We, we, we train on ladders, even though we, we have an engine, but we know why there's ladders there. They're there for a reason. Um, so they'll be in the show notes. You guys can check them out. I'll put them all over social media as well. So that's stuff you want to talk about. You, know, you had some uh, health stuff you want to you want to bring up and kind yeah, of bring some yeah. awareness to. Absolutely. So I uh, recently had a quadruple bypass heart surgery back in November. Um, it was a kind of a surprise to me, uh, you know. And, and kind of going back a little further, uh, it was just weird, you know. I didn't have any chest pain. I never had a heart attack. Um, but I would notice that I got short of breath doing things that I wasn't normally short of breath doing. So I was like, well, you know, I've gained some weight. I've been a little lackadaisical in the workout department, you know, I'm just, but I wasn't feeling good. So I'd start working out a little bit. I start walking, start jogging. Um, things would start to feel better. And this cycle went on for about, I want about a year, a little, right around 18 months. Um, you know, and it was just it's kind of weird. We had this, this fire in a mill um, around the 18 month prior to part. And we were on the roof cutting a hole and uh, I was up there talking with one of the guys. And and uh, actually it's a mill that my dad worked at, his dad had worked at. And I'm like, man, there's so much asbestos in here. And I said, but I think they took it all out of the roof, you know, back in the day. And, and one of the um, other firemen said, no, no, this is, there's asbestos here, but we're all set as long as it was wet down. Well, we didn't wet it down. And it was 18 inches above the sprinkler system, so it wasn't getting wet for anything. So all the particles and dust that were in the air was all this asbestos. 
So I'm like, yep, so here it is. This is the fire that's going to be be it for all of us, you know, our crew, our guys. I said, oh, hang on, you know. Well, a few months later is when I started having those, those breathing issues, and I was like, all right, I got to figure this out. And like I said, kind of went kind of hemmed and hawed about going to the doctor, um, started to work out, you know, felt a little better, uh, went back and forth, uh, had a couple of fires, you know, now we're talking like, Oh, probably eight to 10 months prior to me actually finding out what was going on. And uh, got to the second floor of this fire building and realized that the fire was on the third floor. Um, but the only way to get to where we were going was either go back down, out, and around this building, which would have taken a significant amount of time. Uh, but we've been in this building before uh, on EMS calls and other fire calls. I'm like, if we put a hole right through this wall, the staircase is right here and the fire is right above us. And so we started putting a hole in the wall and I'm like, I'm gassed. I'm like done. And my partner looks over and he goes, you okay? I'm like, I don't know, dude. I said, just finish this hole. And let's go put this fire out. Cause I'm, I'm not feeling it. So we finish the hole, get to the third floor, um, start hitting the fire and I'm my vibe alerts going off. And I'm like, this is crazy you know sucking wind so we go out and uh i felt horrible of course you know i'm the type a personality and this can't happen to me type of guy so i just kind of grin and bear it and let it happen and um, move on and go to the next call you know what i mean yeah so, um a few more months go by and i'm finally I'm, I'm walking up the staircase at the firehouse i get to the uh the top floor and i'm like wow that flight of stairs just kicked my ass. I have no gear on. I'm, I was in shorts and t-shirt and sneakers. And uh, I got to the second floor and I, it was four flights, but two floors. And I was like, if there was a fire here, I couldn't fight a fire. So I called my doctor and uh, he made an appointment, went in, so let's go do a stress test and all this other stuff. Went to the stress test and they found a couple things. So they pulled me out of work and my cardiologist says, well, you can treat this with medication or we can um, just go and, you know, you can go have a cardiac cath. Maybe they need to put a stent in. Then you can be back to work in like three weeks. And I'm like, well, how long for medication? He says, that could be eight months to a year. I'm like, let's go do the cath and see what it, see what it says. So go down to the cath and they go in, they come out, pull me out and they're like, yeah, you need a bypass. I had two arteries that were 65% blocked, one that was 85%, one that was 100%, um, and then other various places were in the 50 to 60% range. Um, wow. And where they were, where the blockages were, uh, they weren't able to stint just because of where where it comes, the, vein, uh, the veins and arteries come into this bunch or this bundle or whatever you want to call it, and they can't stint it, so they had to operate. So I had this done on a Friday. Um, if you're ever having a calf, do it on like a Wednesday. That way, if they need to operate, they can do it that day or the next day. Uh, I had it done on a Friday and they kept me in the hospital all weekend, bed rest, um, you know, wouldn't let me out of the bed, um, put me on a heparin drip and started running more tests. And they said, well, we got you scheduled for next Wednesday, but um, we're gonna do some more tests and see where we're at. Um, by the time they were done running the tests, I was the first case Monday morning. 
and they were actually looking to possibly call in a case on Sunday uh, just to get me done. But they, uh, they kept me alive through the weekend, and I had it first thing Monday morning. And doctor had told me if I hadn't done what I did, when I did it, um, he said, I can't tell you if you were two hours or 122 hours. He said, but you were hours away from a fatal event. And that was wake, that was a wake up call. Um, so, you know, so recovered really well. Uh, most of the time bypass like that, you're in the hospital for anywhere from five to seven days. Uh, they let me out on the morning of day four. Um, That's really good. Yeah, yeah, and I've uh, been, you know, pushing ever since, trying to get stronger, and uh, but it was a real, uh, real eye opener. Um, you know, when I was younger, I worked out all the time. I was always into fitness and always into the gym. And then as you get halfway through your firefighting career, sometimes you just hit that complacency button, you know, and because the mashed potatoes and the beef and the gravy and that's all good, you know. Um, it's all good yeah. stuff. No, man, we had this meal in Bangor called Stromby, uh, and it was absolutely delicious. But it's like five pounds of hamburg, five pounds of Velveeta cheese, three pounds of butter, you know, onions and green peppers all mixed together. Delicious. Not really. Oh, good. yeah, it sounds good. Yeah. Oh, it's clogged it right up. Great, but yeah. Um, so, yeah, so it's, you know, it is what it is. I, I, I'm, as I sit here now, I am down 50 pounds from where I was post uh, pre-surgery. Um, I work out five times a week, sometimes six, depending on my mood. Uh, and, you know, just going for it, man. Just, um, I'll be 50 this May. And, uh, you know, I want to work another 10 years in the firehouse. So, but it's craziness, that, man. That, that is a crazy story, but, you know, just, happy happy you did what you did you took the initiative and you took care of yourself i mean you look good you sound good you yeah. feel good so yeah you know it's crazy how they there's, you know, there's something out there for you it really is and i'll tell you why you know anybody that's out there listening that that they have just a, a hint of something might be up don't chance it just just go and talk to your dog get checked out um and and this is a this is a huge huge surgery um, I didn't realize how big it was. Um, I'm still battling mentally with this whole thing. Like, you know, I almost died. Um, you know, that that's one of the things that was kind of freaky to me. Uh, one of the other things, and, and, I've, and I've said it a few times, and, and, and it really bothers me, and I was actually talking to my battalion chief about it the other day, is, is that I really, not only did I put myself in jeopardy, I put my crew in jeopardy. I put our citizens in jeopardy, and and that really weighs heavy on me. Um, you know, it's it's now. I obviously I didn't know exactly what was going on, and I didn't know exactly what was wrong. Um, and I get that, but I I didn't. I should have talked to somebody sooner. I should have gone to my doctor sooner. Um, things could have been better, faster. Uh, but I wouldn't have this guilt or this, this sensation that I, I let my shift down. I let my crew down. I let my department down and um, you know, and all day long, they'll tell me, Oh no, 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 you didn't. And, and, and I get it. But you know, deep down, 
Um, part of me is, is, is tearing myself apart because um, I could have been one of the statistics, you know, I could have been one of the guys that went into that fire and didn't come out alive. Um, that could have been me. Um, and I mean, there's, I, I don't have it right in front of me, but you know, our line of duty deaths, we're 25-ish a year, uh, cardiac line of duty deaths. And then there's another 25 close calls. I'm one of those 25 close calls, you know? And that's just, to me, is, is it blows my mind. So, you know, if, if I can have one word of advice to, to these people, and it doesn't matter how old you are or how good a shape you're in, if you don't feel right, man, just, just get checked out. It's just simple. Um, you know, I'm actually in the middle of, I'm, I'm actually building a class based around my story. Um, started out to help others, but it's actually helping me through my mental anguish. And, you know, I mean, we're all a little mentally touched. It's fine. So, but it's just, uh, just writing this down and doing this kind of helps me push forward and uh, doing these podcasts, you know, it helps me. And if I can help one person in, um, it's all worth it. Absolutely. I mean, you know, um, going back to what you said about, you know, letting your crew down, letting the, the community down, the citizens. So I think about it. You did, you, you went in and got help. Yeah. Had a do- went to a doctor and it didn't happen on the fire ground. It didn't happen in the firehouse. You know, right. you did yeah. prevent something. You still did prevent something. And oh, yeah. that alone, yeah. you, you knew something, you know, I mean, you probably could have thought, I'm going to be honest. People who, I, I, I know people who went through this same situation, not even in the fire service that thought they had gas or they just thought it was something else. Stress, you know, um, you know, my dad went in. And he had a situation in it and he found out he had a, he didn't have to have a bypass, but he had to have some stents put in and he had no idea. He had no idea until he went into the doctor and they're like, he was totally shocked. I mean, but you, you're on the path to doing the right thing and raising this awareness and, and doing what you're doing is other people will be sitting home feeling sorry, you know, not, not, and if you're doing it so soon, other people will be, you know, not raising that awareness or, right. and you're out there and just on the forefront of it. And that, that's commendable. That, that's more than anything else. I mean, everything else we spoke about, that's on the back burner to everything you just said. And if anybody doesn't take anything away, you could take the arrow position in there. You could take the shorthand operation out. This is the takeaway. It's, it's all about taking care of yourself. You take care of yourself and then everything else just comes into play. It all falls into place. Yep. No and, and and hey, I'm 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 glad you you came on and brought this in. I'm listening to it half of it. I'm just like almost want to cry listening to it <laughs> and thinking about myself, my family, and my 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 crew, my my community. And um, you hit it all in the head, man. Oh, yeah. I, I commend you what you're doing, man. You know, I have a, I have a wife, beautiful wife, beautiful daughter. Uh, two dogs. I have a huge family. Um, they are phenomenal. They've been so supportive through all of this. Um, and that's, that's another one of the things, you know, man, it's, uh, you're just, you're looking at it and you're like, uh, you just, holy shit. You know, I, I, I could have been gone 
and I don't want to be gone. I have a lot of life to live. Um, and you know, I, my wife and I, we have a lot of things we want to do. Um, and we're going to do them, man. Yeah. And now, uh, you're stronger than ever, you know, mentally, physically, everything. So, you know, with that, if anybody wants to reach out to you, where, where can anybody reach out to talk to you more? If they want to talk to you about this topic or other topics, where could they get you? I am on at Maniac Training on Instagram. It's M-A-I-N-E-I-A-C Training. Um, my website is maniactraining.org. Um, I'm on Facebook as well. Um, so any of those media outlets, you can, uh, you know, message me, call, whatever, you know, email me, and uh, I'd be more than happy to talk to anybody and if I can help somebody go the right direction, I will absolutely do the best I can to get them where they need to be. Ryan, I appreciate you having you on today, man. It was a, it was a great conversation, great topics you bring in. You're doing so many great things, you know, for the fire service overall, operation-wise, tactics, strategies, health. It all, it all is, uh, it all adds up. And you have a lot more out there, a lot more to keep doing and keep, keep pushing every day to keep inspiring. You inspired me, not not from today, not just from today, from all the stuff you post, man. So I appreciate you having me on. So yeah, man, thanks, thanks for coming on, man. Great. Thanks for coming on, man. Enjoy it. So uh, that's it. That's all I got for today. And uh, awesome. you know, so I'm just gonna do my little spiel in the end. So Ryan, uh, one place that I actually call partners of mine is a company up by you up in Maine, Origin USA, and they are all about giving back, helping out everyone, you know, workout equipment, supplements, lifetime apparel, right out of Framington, Maine. So if you go to the website, originusa.com, you can use the promo code FHTribune to get 10% of checkout for anything you want. Check us out on the firearmstribune.com. Check out the book, The Five Tool Firefighter, and do not forget to check out Ryan Johnston, Maniac Fire Training in Fire Engineering, in Firefighter Nation, on all the social webs. And... That's all we have for today. Until next time, work hard, stay safe, and live inspired. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of the 5 Tool Firefighter Podcast. If you like what you heard and you want to hear more, please subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, please leave us a rating. And don't forget to pick up the book, The Five Tool Firefighter, available on Amazon at thefirehousetribune.com. Until next time, work hard, stay safe, and live inspired.